0: Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to Romans 14. Romans 14, under the heading of a question. Free to do what? Free to do what? From Romans 14. We're going to read the whole chapter this morning. But our particular attention and focus will be from verses 1 to 19 of Romans 14, under the heading of free to do what? Let's give our attention now to the reading of God's Word. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but do not quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him." The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself, for if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be both Lord of the the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know And I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love by what you eat. Do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Here ends the reading of God's Word this morning. May we receive it with a believing heart. My beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus, it was Martin Luther who once said, the Christian is the most free Lord of all, subject to none. Outside of Christ, it doesn't matter if you're a king, you are a slave. A slave to sin, a slave to the flesh, a slave to this world. But if you are in Christ, you can be the lowest of men and women, you could be a beggar, you could be homeless. You could work at Burger King, and you are free. You're more free than any king or governor in Jesus Christ. Isn't this what the Bible teaches us? One of my favorite verses, John 8, verse 36. If the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Christian, if you are here this morning and you are in Christ, you are free. Free from wrath, free from Satan, free from death and hell and judgment. To quote the Puritan Richard Sibbs, the slave in Christ is a free man and a king. How profound is that? The slave in Christ is a free man and a king. And now for the first time in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul is going to wade into the issues in the Roman church. He's dealt with theological issues, but now he enters into the bickering. You see, there's an argument going on between the Jews and the Gentiles. What Paul calls in chapter 14, verse 1, there's an argument between the weak And then in 15, verse 1, an argument between the strong. An argument between the Jew, the Gentile, the weak, and the strong. And what they are arguing about is their freedom. What we call their Christian liberty. One side said, because of God's Gospel grace, everything is permissible for me. And then the other side was saying, No, you still must follow the Old Testament dietary laws. You need to follow the Old Testament feast days. And what ended up happening was they elevated their personal opinions. They elevated what they thought to be right to the place of law. And they allowed their own personal opinions to divide the body. Allowing their own personal opinions to divide the body. It's a serious issue. How does Paul handle this? Notice just from the onset. He does not handle the division in the church by ignoring it. Nor does he say, you know what? We just need to go to different churches. Paul, as a wise pastor, does is he lifts their eyes to a higher reality. He lifts their eyes to the freedom they have in Jesus. That they were not set free for sin, licentiousness. Nor were they set free for legalism to bind God's grace to some law. He reminds them of the Gospel that God has welcomed them. And here's our theme for our time together. God saved us so that we could serve the Lord without fear and holiness and righteousness all the days of our lives. That's what Christ has done. He has saved us so that we could serve the Lord without fear and holiness and righteousness all the days of our lives. And so when the church is divided, when we have disagreements and differing opinions, this is what we must do. Lift our eyes to Jesus. To look at Him. And to remember the work that He has done. Our outline this morning, I'm going to tweak a little bit for you. I had a bit of a short week since Lisa and I had to go to Canada with the kids. And so I'm going to tweak our outline because I want to make sure I get it right for you. So the first point is going to be free from the laws, condemning power, free from the laws condemning power. point one. Point two is free to obey our master, free to obey our master. And then our third point is going to be freedom to serve together in the kingdom. Freedom to serve together in the kingdom. So free from the laws condemning power, free to obey our master, freedom to serve together in the kingdom. So let's look first, That fact that Christians are free from the law's condemning power. You see, Christ was the whole goal of the law. Flip back in your Bibles to Romans 10, verse 4, where the Apostle Paul has been very clear about this. Romans 10, verse 4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. He is what the law pointed to. And boys and girls, every time you read in the Old Testament about the clean and unclean distinction, every time you read about the sacrifices, every time you read about the feast days, we need to remember that they all point to Jesus sacrifice for you. You can make the argument that this is what the whole book of Romans is about. We are sinners. God has looked to us in mercy, looked upon us in mercy. He has sent His Son to take away the condemning power of the law by dying upon the cross. He took the record of debt and nailed it to the cross. And so a Christian is free. Free from trying to earn their own righteousness. Free from the law's condemning power. And the law stands today simply to show us our sins so that we would cling to Christ all the more. But the church in Rome is evidently arguing. Look at verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Then jump to verse 3. Let not the one who who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. And what they're fighting over is specifically if it is acceptable to eat meat. Verse 2, we read, One person believes that he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Jump down to verse 17. They're also arguing about whether they can drink wine for kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. And they're also arguing, secondly, about the Old Testament feast days. Look at verse 5. One person esteems one day as better than another while another esteems all days alike. And Paul divides these Two peoples into two camps that he calls the weak, and he calls the other one the strong. Verse 1, do as for the one who is weak in faith. Well, what does that mean, to be weak in faith? Well, this is in reference to the Jews. And Paul is not trying to be offensive by calling them weak. Remember, he himself is a Jewish Christian. But what it means to be weak in faith is to have a weak conscience, or to be theologically incorrect about something. And what were they incorrect about? Look at verse 2, the weak person eats only vegetables. Now boys and girls, does the Bible say it's wrong to eat meat? That every Jew or Christian needs to be a vegetarian? the answer, of course, is no. Now, there are examples in the Bible of people being vegetarians. You think of Daniel in Babylon, who abstained from eating the rich meats at the tables of Babylon to distinguish himself from the Babylonians, to keep his mind sharp, to keep his body ready. We see it also in the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 8. Paul tells them to abstain from eating meat sacrificed to idols, so they just abstain from meat altogether. So they're not weak in faith because they only eat vegetables. There's nothing wrong with being a vegetarian. The problem was, as Matthew Henry says, is that they took their opinion and made it a law for the Gentiles who did not share their opinion. They judged, verse 2, the Gentiles for not following their vegetarian convictions and their holy days. They condemned everyone who didn't agree with their personal opinion. They condemned everyone who didn't agree with their personal opinion. That's the weak view. Well, what's the strong view? That's what Paul talks about in chapter 15, verse 1. Well, this is the view that recognizes that Jesus has fulfilled the Old Testament. Paul calls this the strong view because this, of course, is his position. Look at verse 14. He says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. This is the theologically correct view the view that embraces what Peter saw in Acts chapter 10 when he was debating about ba- preaching the Gospel and baptizing Cornelius's family and then God shows him that vision of the linen coming down with animals. And he, the Lord says to him, take and eat. And Peter says, no, it's unclean. And God says, call nothing unclean what I have made clean. See it also in 1 Timothy 4 verse 4. Paul says to Timothy, Everything God created is good. That's the strong view. And this would have been, like we can imagine, mostly Gentiles, who we read in verse 2, would eat anything. The Gentile view is it's all clean in Jesus. And so they're eating meats, the Jews are vegetarians. The Gentiles are esteeming every day alike, verse 5, while the Jews are going to the temple on the Sabbath, celebrating the Passover. Brothers and sisters, could you imagine the potluck in the Roman church? On one side, you've got the Jewish vegetarians. And then on the other side, you have the Gentile meat-atarians. And verse 3 says it begins to divulge. We know how this goes. The Gentiles begin to despise the Jews for abstaining. They look at them not eating the pork and the beef and the chickens and the fish, and they say, that's just vain superstition. Haven't you read Romans? It's fulfilled in Jesus. And then the Jews look at the Gentiles and say, you're not not observing the holidays. You're a morally lax people. That is the problem with this society, you can imagine them saying. And so often, what ends up happening in church is we absolutize our opinions. We take our opinions about something that really is inconsequential and we raise it up to the place of law. And we begin to divide the body of Christ over things that don't really matter. How many times in our lives, to bring it closer to home, have we heard people take their own personal convictions and make them the true test of Christianity? That's the weak view. If you're well-seasoned in life here, maybe you can remember Christians and preachers talking as if the essence of Christianity is that you don't go out dancing. That the essence of a true spirituality is that you don't go to the movies. That's the weak view. When I was a kid, the litmus test to being a true believer, having a real piety, was that you would refrain from drinking alcohol. And what this is, really is legalism. It's the binding of the grace of Jesus to a law. And we can make legalism out of anything. The Jews made it out of the dietary laws, or at least how they interpreted them. We can make it out of our own personal opinions. And in essence, legalism is the binding of the grace of Jesus to a law. Listen to what Martin Lloyd-Jones said about this. Do we not all know Christians who have made their Christian life unhappily simply because they would not take things with which we cannot arrive at with any real certainty and make them the test of orthodoxy and insisted that we agree absolutely before we could have fellowship with them? That's the problem here. Their opinions have become so grand, so ironclad in their mind, that they have crowded out the gospel in the Roman church, the very thing that unified them. They were more focused on what divided them than what unified them. And so what is the solution for legalism? What is the solution for a church that feels like it cannot exist together anymore because of opinions? Paul does what we should all be doing. He focuses on the gospel. Look at this in verse 3. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. This is the important clause. For God has welcomed This is a powerful teaching, brothers and sisters, because the word for welcomed here is the same word for accepted. What an important message for the church that when we disagree on minor matters, we should not immediately regard that person as an unbeliever. If God has accepted them, do I have any right to reject them, is Paul's point. Now, no doubt, if these Jews were like the Judaizers of the book of Galatians who were saying you needed to be circumcised in order to be saved, Paul would have condemned them with the strongest possible language. If they were like the, the, uh, the, the people that Paul was writing to in the book of Colossians who said that you must observe the feast days in order to be saved, Paul would have condemned them with the strongest possible language. But the people to whom Paul is writing in the book of Rome are Christians. They are people who are trusting in Jesus, who are looking to Him to be the fulfillment of the law. Here is the point. When it comes to differing opinions about minor matters, we must remember that God has welcomed Him. And so should we. Look at verse 1. As for the one who is weak, this is the command, welcome If somebody is clothed in the blood of Jesus, who has been chosen by God, we may not refuse them entry into Trinity United Reformed Church. Brothers and sisters, here is the application. This is what you need to get this morning. If we, we need to look into our own hearts, and if there is any despising and judging within us from what other believers think they must do to honor God, we need to drag it out of our hearts and nail it to the cross. He has taken away the law's condemning power. Do not reapply it to your brother or your sister. Again, allow me to be very clear this does not mean that we may ignore sin. In other contexts, the Apostle Paul says you must pass judgment upon sin. But when it comes to matters of things indifferent, minor things, we need to look to the cross. And here's a profound point. Let it go. Look to the cross. And let it go. See, you're free from the law's condemning power. Don't let anyone judge you. And don't sit in judgment over anyone. But the Apostle Paul moves on to say, we are also free to obey our Master. See, this is the second error that often comes on that subject of freedom or Christian liberty. That second flip side of the coin is licentiousness. You've got legalism on one side and you've got licentiousness on the other. Licentiousness, boys and girls, is the view that all things are permissible for me in Jesus, including sin. Luther called this Anti-nomianism, anti means against, of course. Namas means law, anti-law. And folks, this is alive and well in our day. There are many people who claim the name of Christ and say that God has given me His gospel grace. Jesus has fulfilled the law. Therefore, God expects nothing of me. Therefore, I have no calling in the Christian life. But Richard Sibbs, I say again, quote from him, he says, freedom implies two things. A freedom from ill and a liberty to a better. A freedom from ill and a freedom to do good. And Paul would give a hearty amen to that. See, now that Christ has freed us from, our, from the law, we are not our own, but belong body and in soul, in life and in death, to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And don't you see the heartbeat of our confession in verses 7-9? through 9? None of us lives to Himself and none of us dies to Himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. See, Christ sets you free from the law. He sets you free from the curse and forced servitude to sin your flesh and the devil. Not so that you can serve yourself, but so that you can serve Him. That you would become a willing servant of Jesus, that you would obey your Master. You see, to be set free implies that at one point, You were enslaved, doesn't it? To be set free implies at one point you were enslaved. And if you flip back in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6, Paul makes this very clear in verse 16 and in verse 17. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? either of sin which leads to death, or of obedience which leads to righteousness. And look at this. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin. And Paul does something amazing in Romans. See, that same word for slave in Greek, doulos, he says in Romans 1, verse 1. Flip there if you can. The first verse of this epistle. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. It's the same word. A doulos, a slave of Christ Jesus. See, at one point, Paul was a slave of sin, but now he's a slave of Jesus, he says. At one point, he served his own flesh, he served his own sin, he served the world. He was a flesh-serving, church-persecuting, sin-committing, God-hater, and now a slave, a servant of Jesus. And so it is with you and I, brothers and sisters. The call to come to Jesus is not a call to be set free from the law to serve your own lusts, your own desires, your own flesh, but it's a call to serve him. This is what Paul makes clear in Galatians 5, verse 13. You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love to serve each other. The goal of the Christian life is not that we would live for ourselves, but that we would offer ourselves up to the Lord who has saved us. That we would be a sacrifice of praise. We are not our own but belong to Him. You are not your own master. You are not your own proprietor. You are not at your own disposal. There is a holy business that you are called to. And the business is simply this. That you would please the Lord. For none of us lives to Himself. None of us dies to Himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. Please Him. Serve Him. Love Him. Obey Him. Because He died for you and gave His life for you. That's why Paul mentions living and dying here. Death is that final enemy. Death is the result of the fall, the result of sin. And he's not saying that death is something that God likes or something that we should get excited about. But that from the beginning all the way to the end, Let us give our lives to the Lord. Let us even offer up our final moments to the God who has saved us. One of the most beautiful things about the Christian faith is that even in dying, believers can give themselves to Jesus. What a beautiful thing. In death, we can give ourselves to the Lord so that we might depart from this life and to be with Christ, to be present with Him forever. See, though some Christians are weak, and some are strong, though they all have different sizes, though we have different capacities, different apprehensions, different practices, we are all the Lord's. That's what unifies us. And a good servant always obeys his master. This is what Paul is driving at. Christ is Lord, so we should obey Him. Verse 9, for to this end Christ died and lived again, that He would be Lord. And so if someone abstains from something, and even if you disagree with them, does it really matter? They're the Lord's. They're seeking to serve Him. He is the judge, not you. This means that in matters that do not threaten the faith and the doctrine and the purity of the church, Christians can differ in opinions. When someone abstains from something for the Lord, even if we disagree, they are doing it in service of the Lord. It's not about you. It doesn't concern you. So don't worry about it. By way of example, if someone as a matter of conscience says, I'm going to abstain from alcohol, my family and I are going to abstain from alcohol, they are free to obey Jesus in this way. Even if you disagree. Even if you would like to have a glass of wine. They are doing it for the Lord. They will give an account for Him. Another example. Historically, Presbyterians did not celebrate Christmas, Easter, or other holidays. Even if you disagree, They're doing it for the Lord. They are free to worship God in that way. The fact of the matter is, Paul says, if your conscience convicts you about a certain matter, even if you are the only person on earth who must abstain, you should do it for the Lord. R.C. Sproul tells a humorous story about a friend who got obsessed with the tabletop game ping pong. He got addicted to it. This guy ate, slept, and drank ping pong. That's all he thought about. And he told RC one day, I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit that I need to abstain from ping pong. Not that everybody else in the world needs to quit ping pong, there's nothing wrong with ping pong. But for this one brother, he felt that he needed to let it go. Brothers and sisters, this is so vital. When a person is doing something for the Lord's sake, as an act of love and devotion, and from a desire to serve him, even if I disagree, even if I don't see his point of view, and if I don't apply it in my own life, I can still thank God for his devotion. This is the glorious freedom of the gospel. You have been set free from forced servitude to your flesh, to sin and the devil, and you have been set free to serve your Savior, Jesus. This is the greatest and the sweetest freedom you can have. You have the freedom to say no to sin. You have the freedom to say yes to God. Paul says one day all people will stand before the Lord Jesus when he comes. All people will give an account so you can leave your disagreements with God. Seek to serve Him as best as you are able. Seek to serve Him as He commands you in His word. Seek to serve Him as He guides you in your conscience. You are free to do so. Free from the law's condemning power. Free to obey your master. And our final point, freedom to serve together In the kingdom. See, finally, I want us to see that God has given us a freedom to serve together in the kingdom. Matthew Henry says the stress of Christianity should not be laid upon things that are not essential to the to religion. Instead, we need to give our focus, we need to give our zeal to the kingdom of God, to the righteousness and the peace and the joy given in the Holy Spirit. This is so true. When we focus on God, and we focus on the cross of Jesus Christ, do not all of our concerns seem to fall into place? So how do we do this in a divided age? I want to give you three quick points of application on the kingdom of God and the believer. And then Lord willing, we'll pick up our study again next week. But the first thing the Apostle Paul says is that we need to be willing to love each other more than we love our opinions we need to be willing to love each other more than we love our opinions verses 14 and 15 i know and am persuaded in the lord jesus that nothing is unclean in and of itself but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean for if your brother is grieved by what you eat you are no longer walking in love by what you eat do not destroy the one for whom christ died paul was not bound to only eat vegetables Christ was his only Lord and his Master, but if it would cause his weaker brother to stumble, he would be willing and loving enough to abstain. Though the Gentiles were free to eat meat, it would not be loving to bring bacon to the potluck. So it is with us. Love your brother more than your opinion. Paul goes on and says, second point of application we should not use our opinions in shameful ways. Verse 16. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. We have all seen this when somebody is so passionate about their opinion that everyone begins to deride them. We look down on them, they won't ever stop talking about it because they use their opinion as a weapon. if we use our opinions as weapons, if we rub our opinions in someone's face, people will look on them as evil. This is really Paul's, one of Paul's main focuses in this latter half of this chapter. Everything we do and everything we say should be for the aiding and the building up of the body, not the tearing it down. And then the third final application is don't let your opinions distract you from the kingdom of God verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, the kingdom of God is bigger than your opinions. It is bigger than what we put in our mouths and in our bellies. If the kingdom of God is more about what you do or do not do, it is no longer the kingdom of God but it is the kingdom of me. The kingdom of God is really about the righteousness, the peace, and the joy of Jesus I am righteous in Jesus, and so are they. I have peace with God through Jesus, and so do they. This produces joy in our hearts. Is this not what the kingdom of God is really be, really about? Make that your perspective. Make that your focus. Sinclair Ferguson, I think, wraps it up so well. He, he says this, Don't try to put your brother or sister in their place. Just welcome them. Don't try to make them conform to your opinions. Just accept them. Don't condemn them for what you believe is wrong. Just love them. We have the freedom to serve together in the kingdom of God, but we need to put aside ourselves, and we need to put God in the proper place. So let's conclude. Christian, you are the most free person who has ever walked on the face of the earth. You have not been set free to serve yourselves. You have not been set free to serve your own opinion. You have been set free from the law's condemning power to serve Jesus, to serve him joyfully in his kingdom with one another in righteousness and holiness all the days of your life. This will only come if we keep our eyes on Jesus, if we keep our focus upon his grace by the power of his Holy Spirit. May he give us the grace to do so. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do give you thanks for this opportunity to gather together and to read in your word of the freedom that we have been given in Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that even though we read the law every Sunday morning and it is constantly in our minds and it is in our hearts, we know that the condemning power of it has been removed by his cross. And we pray, God, that we would not bind our own consciences or bind the consciences of anyone uh, to it, uh, but that we would live and walk in that freedom for we are free to obey you and that is the sweetest and the greatest of freedoms when we love Jesus so much we love God and our neighbor so much that we would not even choose to sin in the first place and father we thank you for this church we thank you that the kingdom of god is in our midst and we pray lord that we would do all things in service to the kingdom um, as you have given uh, it to us may we decrease and you increase o oh lord and our Redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.